Hi, this is Rusty, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Tim, and I'm an alcoholic, and this is Children of Chaos. Today we're going to be talking about couples in recovery. And to start with, I'd like to have our guests introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Corinne. I'm in Al-Anon and have been for 33 years. And I am married to Merlin, who's here with us today. And we have been married for 17 years. Hi, I'm Merlin, and we've been married for 17 years. <laughs> this is Julianne. Uh, I've been in Al-Anon for, you know, over, over 21 years, and I'm married to Rusty. And I'm Rusty, and I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober for a little over 40 years, and I've been married to Julianne for almost 24 years. You guys are rock stars. That was awesome. Welcome. Thank you. Today, we are going to be talking about relationships more specifically with married couples. Now, why, why, Rusty, are you just doing married couples? Why not just people who are mm. partners, like, you know, long-term okay. partners? Well, that question right there is, is a great question in itself because for I know for myself, when we met and we were dating and then it became more than dating and we decided that we really liked each other and we fell in love and then... I ask you to move in. Oh, yes. That's Remember? Right. Yeah, by the way, I'm Julianne. Yeah. <laughs> I'm married to Rusty. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, yes. <laughs> but so when you said no, to be honest with you, nobody had ever said no. And I was kind of stunned by that. But it made a difference for me in commitment. That's what it was. It, it made a difference for me in, in committing because I was one of those that was never monogamous in any relationship, married or not. And I had been sober for 17 years in AA, so I knew that when I made that commitment that it was gonna be a monogamous relationship. So thank you for bringing that up because for me it was, I went to a higher sense of responsibility and commitment when I committed to be married. So what about you? Right, yeah, I think it's because once I made that commitment to, uh, to a marriage, then you are, were in my circle of trust. You know, there's a lot of circles that move out from there, but you had, you know, I pulled you into that one. And if it wasn't, if I didn't have that commitment, I would have like always sort of had one foot out. Or, or somebody, you know, always eyeing somebody else just in case, you know, uh, to pull out of the, the curtains, you know, to the sidelines yeah. to bring in. Yeah, I love that, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a really important difference between those two things. What about you, Merlin? You're like me. You've been, have been married several times. and Yes, uh, it's always seemed to me that the person that I was with, I was almost in love with, and pretty quickly, I was in love with. And so I was prone to like someone and then ask them to marry me. And I ended up marrying four or five different people along the road due to that habit. And in retrospect, I see how unhealthy that habit was, and I see un- how unhealthy my relationship was with females. A female needed to fit into what I wanted her to be, and then I thought that we could have a relationship 
it would work wonderfully, and it left her no ability to be someone different, to be someone else. So I went through 15 years of recovery, probably looking for a wife and finding wives and then not being able to fit our lives together where we could exist as a couple and losing those relationships and starting again. And miraculously, this time, I met someone from high school days that I had been sincerely in love with in high school. And when I met her in the rooms of recovery, there was no question that we knew each other and loved each other. And it took about three months for us to end up back together a little longer than that, getting married. But I thought this person could be in such a way that my life could be wonderful. The difference is this person has been able to do that. She can uh, live a life in such a way that she adapts to what I do or suggests things to me. And we manage to live in a mutual way that both of us support and both of us get along with. Corinne, when Merlin says those things, how much of your years in Al-Anon do you think attributed to, to, to this marriage that you've had? Oh, 100%. There's no question. I mean, when we fell in love when I was in high school, we had no skills. We just had feelings. I will say, though, I knew who he was in high school. I knew that he was always sweet to me and that he had a really deep capability for love. I knew that. And I think he also had a deep capability for commitment back then. I mean, I don't think there was any question about that in my mind. So I knew who he was. That made a big difference to us being able to reconnect. But uh, my years in recovery gave me the skills to be able to be in a relationship in a complete completely different way than I ever had been because all my ideas about how to be in a relationship didn't work even though they look like they should <laughs> they, they worked at work <laughs> they just didn't work in the relationship and being able to do things differently because of what I had learned I think made has made all the difference in me being able to be healthy in a relationship and know how to adjust and and know how to talk know how to do lots of things I, I mean I think I think it's the reason our relationship is so successful I believe that a hundred percent so Corinne you were married before Merlin and what was it once or twice or what what was it Merlin sent me an email when we first started talking when we reconnected, and he told me his story. And he said he had had four wives, and he had married one of them twice. <laughs> and I sent him an email back, and I said, I have had four husbands, and I married one of them twice. We are a matched set. Wow. Wow. And he sent me a note back and said, I don't think you read my email. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did. Yeah. Actually, I did. Actually, yeah. I did. And one of the husbands I was married to for 22 years, and he got sober. That was the one I married twice. And he got sober, and we were in recovery together for a while, and it was absolutely wonderful until he decided that we were, he was going to too many meetings. 
and then he didn't really need a sponsor. And then he got dry after that. Mm-hmm. And over a period of time, that's a that's a whole nother story. But even though I used the skills that I had learned in Al-Anon in that relationship, and it made a huge difference in the quality of it from my standpoint. It didn't make it possible for the relationship to survive because he really quit participating. Uh, and he also never went to Al-Anon. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, do you think you had to like, kind of, I don't know, hit a bottom with your previous relationships in order to come to Al-Anon or in order yes. to have the relationship you have today? Absolutely, I had mm-hmm. to do that because I really thought I knew. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew how to handle things, and if I just kept at it and kept doing research, I would get to the answer, or I would take him to the appropriate doctor and <laughs> get him <laughs> fixed. <laughs> Uh, I can remember the night that I decided to go to Al-Anon. Uh-huh. I remember it very clearly. Uh, we'd had a really bad night, and my husband had left. We'd had a terrible fight, which was his way of leaving so that he could go drink. I didn't know that at the time. And he was gone most of the night, and I stayed up most of the night, and I had to go to work the next day. But during the night, I came to that place where you get to when you've had enough, and you know you can't do what you're doing another day. And I had been to Al-Anon previously for a very brief period, and I got my books back out, and I started reading. And then that's a whole other story as well. Mm -hmm. But I knew that's where the answer lay. And and I got thanks to two angels in my life, I got back there. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it it took what it took to get me back. And it took the right home group to fall into, where I really felt at home. And also it was fun. It was fun to go to that meeting. Well, that's... Honey, that's a good question. So I'm going to ask you that same question. Before we met, you had left and gone to uh, California mm-hmm. with a guy that you had met, and you guys went through a lot of stuff out there. So what was your – because when we met, I knew that you had went through a, a lot of things, and you were by yourself, of course, And but I could tell that had a change had come over you because of – that relationship and where were you at at that time right i had lived with a guy out in california and he drank he drank wine and so i didn't really identify i didn't quite get it that he was an alcoholic even though whenever we traveled and we traveled quite a bit in the business that he had and he would always make sure the hotel was near a liquor store you know so he could get that wine and i just thought oh well that's just california and then, I don't know, one day I'm standing in the kitchen and I looked at the, we had two trash cans and one of them was always full and that was the wine bottles. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, there's something amiss with this. <laughs> you know, this is not right. So, now, had you been going to Al-Anon before? No, I actually went to one Al-Anon meeting probably five years previous to mm-hmm. that. And it was great. You know, I really enjoyed it. So, so what happened is I, did, I remembered it, though. Mm-hmm. That one experience, and so I uh, tried to find one uh, where we, we were. We were living in Palo Alto, and I'm sure there is one. I mean, there is one, but I would call and leave a message, and I, nobody would call me back. It was really strange, and then I couldn't find it. I'd drive around, but in the meantime, I did need to go home to Tulsa because my mother was uh, had had a heart attack, and there was no one to take care of her. And I have an older sister who's mentally ill that lives with her, lived with her. So it was really a mess. And so I ended up just leaving 
the whole thing. It was, it was like, I don't know, you know how the universe works. <laughs> it's just a mystery how it all, the pieces come together. So as soon as I got back to Tulsa, the hospice nurse for my mom was in Al-Anon. And we had a, you know, and I actually knew her in high school. And I went to a very small high school. I mean, you know, there were 23 people in my graduating class. And so she was in the, the grade below me. So when I saw her, I was just... Uh, you know, happy to meet her, to see her again, and uh, she told me where the good meetings were, and mm-hmm. you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I went to an AA speaker meetings first, you know, because they were near my house, and and that's how I got involved. But I would say that inevitably, I think somebody who gets into the Al-Anon program in a real way, and for me, I was very thirsty for it, for the twelve-step program. You really, it's kind of like. The Velveteen Rabbit. Mm-hmm. You have to have your fur, rough, you know, rubbed off a bit, mm-hmm. and been through that whole experience in order to really be open to learning something new. Uh, so that, and of course, that same woman was the one that introduced you and I. You and I. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Sally, that was great. Well, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because it had so much to do with uh, my story. As I said, that I had been sober and Alcoholics Anonymous for 17 years, and I'd been going to Al-Anon for 10. So when I met you, and I've said this many times, if you had met me even 10 years before, that you'd have walked right past me because there was a lot of changing going on from the time. You know, AA got me sober, and I, and I still go to meetings all the time, but Al-Anon taught me how to have relationships, intimate relationships with women. So when when you and I met, it all came together for both of us, mm-hmm. it seems like. Mm-hmm. And it also says that uh, AA makes uh, special bedfellows. It's amazing mm-hmm. the people that, that get together that and get married in AA. Mm-hmm. So Merlin... And uh, might, I might tell you guys that that's listen. Merlin and I have been friends for 35 years, and as we've run some real trails together in that time, so I just well, I would have relationships and just leave because I wouldn't marry him. Well, Merlin, he would marry them all, and that didn't need to leave. So we used to laugh about that. <laughs> Did I say something I shouldn't have there? Maybe no. No. Okay. No. You may have laughed about it. I'm not sure I laughed about it. <laughs> so to me, there, there had to be a lot of growth from the time that you first came into the 12 steps until you and Corinne met. I mean, it just, that stuff happens the way it's supposed to happen. I mean, you run in together at a conference in Arkansas. Come on, what's the chances of that? I grew a little bit with each year in the recovery program and with each marriage I grew some I saw my capabilities and lack of capabilities to be in a relationship and so each one of those relationships uh, whether they ended up in a full marriage or not led to me growing to be a a better husband and so each uh, year and each period of time in the program uh, led me along that line, and I think just I happened to run into Corinne at a time when I was enough 
I had enough sobriety and I had enough self-awareness that I was able to participate in a relationship with another person, a female, and want to stay there and want it to be forever and want to be monogamous in it and was willing to try everything I had learned to that point to do those things and it just so happened that I had been long enough in recovery and made enough mistakes mm-hmm. that uh, I wasn't going to make the same mistakes again and, and I was able to uh, actually be in the relationship. It also it also turns out immensely uh, fortuitous that this person that I found at that point in time was someone that I had originally had a wonderful relationship with and and actually started out on what we ended up having now. Mm-hmm. Uh, started out with this uh, relationship we have now. We were just 16 and 18 years old and not able to stand the rigors of, of the world at that point in mm-hmm. time. And so we both had to do a lot of growing up through the years. I'm so thankful that both of us have stayed in recovery this long. Most people find sobriety, get sober, and wander away from it. And they may not drink anymore. They may not drink or to use any drugs anymore, but they don't continue to grow the way the people are that keep coming to the meetings. And so I think we're talking about a small subset of people here that stay in the recovery process, Mm -hmm. that continue to practice the principles that are taught to us in recovery, that continue to learn from those, may make mistakes, may get uh, divorced, but continue to come around recovery. Mm -hmm. And and both people need to do that. And if both people do that, then you have a chance for a relationship that can be wonderful. And so I think that's the ultimate that we're Mm -hmm. talking about here is people that continue to be in recovery, continue to go to these meetings, uh, and continue to say, I'm practicing the principles to the best of my ability. And then you've got a chance then to have a real marriage. Thank you, Marvin. Corinne, what would you say some of the challenges as time has went on in your marriage that have come up for you guys? Aging (laughs) (laughs) would be the big one. To be perfectly honest, Rusty, we have had very few mm-hmm. challenges because I had, we both had at least 15 years in the rooms of going. I mean, I've been to three meetings a week for 33 years yeah. at least. So we, we have had very few challenges. I will tell you one of the things that has been really a growth thing for me, recovery-wise, has been practicing the best communication that I can. And not only that, keeping a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got to recovery, I was one of the most serious people that you would want to meet. The world was a serious place, and my relationship was a really serious place. And it was no fun, I can tell you. And I didn't know how to lighten up. Uh, being in recovery has taught me how to lighten up uh, and not take myself so seriously, particularly. Um, because the people that I'm attracted to are the people who have humility and that can laugh at themselves. I, I don't have to be right anymore. And when mm-hmm. I'm wrong, I can laugh at myself yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. And it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was shocked when I was able to say I was wrong, when I learned in recovery to say I was mm-hmm. wrong, or I don't know, learning to say I don't know, because mm-hmm. uh, I'd never said that. 
I'd never said I was wrong, and I'd never said I don't know, because I was pretty sure if I didn't know, I could find out. And the arrogance that goes with that is just horrifying. But learning to communicate in a kind and loving manner, no matter what, and learning to make requests rather than demands, and learning to keep a sense of humor at, at all times as much as I possibly can, has really changed our relationship, I think, over the last uh, 18 years that we've been together. And I think when you practice, you get better. Mm-hmm. And then when you practice some more, you get better. Uh, and you learn what works well for them and what doesn't work mm-hmm. well for them. So we haven't had that many challenges. I think we've just learned, given whatever the situation was that came up, to do it better. You yeah. know, because we practice. We really do practice. That's the thing I love about Merlin is that I know he's committed to the practice. I know he's committed to recovery, and I know Mm -hmm. he's committed to practice it. I I couldn't be in a relationship today with someone who was not like that. Uh, I really couldn't and wouldn't want to. I just, it's too hard. I've done it too many times. Uh, And I I have the scars to prove it. So. It's, I'm just really grateful that we haven't had that many challenges. But really, the challenges that we have had have been real-life challenges. They haven't been relationship challenges, hmm. particularly. Yeah. They've been family members dying or aging. So what about the aging? You, yeah, you mentioned that. What? Well, we don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I learned that. There's that. Yeah, there's that. (laughs) You know, and instead of me saying to him, don't you remember? I told you that, you Uh know. I just laugh, you know, (laughs) because I do it all the way. We're both at the same place with that pretty much, Mm -hmm. you know. It's just, and he can say, don't you remember? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, no. No, no, I don't. (laughs) That one's gone. (laughs) But that's the humor I'm talking about. Yeah. I've been in relationships where people would be angry or uh, judgmental mm-hmm. if I didn't do something right or didn't remember something mm-hmm. and I don't think we do that but that but it is a challenge and you have to keep your sense of humor and yeah. we Merlin said to me one day we were going to the hospital because he had a, a, another thing happen and since I've been in Tulsa and since we've been together he's had a lot of physical challenges mm-hmm. he's had knee replacements he's had kidney stones he's had mm-hmm. he's had injuries uh, and I've only had one you know, mm-hmm. pretty much that whole time. But I think we've learned how to support each other. And he said to me one day, he said, I guess you didn't think you'd be moving to Tulsa to take care of me, <laughs> did you? <laughs> I said, well, no, but why wouldn't I take care of you? Mm-hmm. You know, I love you. Why wouldn't sure. I want to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a codependent thing. It's it's based on love. Just yeah. while, we were, while we were talking here, it occurred to me, the difference was when we were 16 and 18, we both thought we ruled the roost. Maybe we didn't say it out loud, but we thought that our way was the best way and that we were really smart and could figure out the best way, and I just needed to tell her my way, and she thought the same thing. She needed to tell me her way. And now, after these years of practicing these principles, and saying there are principles written down here that I want to follow, it's no longer my way or her way. We may look at the book and say, wow, you're right, I should have done that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done this, 
uh, and I made a mistake, but it's we can look at the books and figure out what we should be doing and what works in a relationship. Actually, these books give you all the answers to being in a marriage and being happily married Mm -hmm. that you want to have, that you're willing to practice. They're all written down right there for you. And the traditions, too. People forget the traditions, but, boy, they are so important. Absolutely. Every facet of my life I use it. Miss Julianne? Yes. What has been the challenges for you? Oh, in the marriage? Well, you know, I want to just kind of backtrack a little Mm -hmm. bit (laughs) before we get to that. Um, I was thinking about, as Corinne and Merlin were talking about how, um, you know, what actually has changed in, in my life that makes my relationship a good one because I went to Al-Anon, you know, what, what is it? And I think, you know, when I first started going to those a, open AA meetings, and I remember the very first one I went to was a guy from the boys' school. From I was at the girls' school, and he was <coughs> at the boys' school. So we knew, you know, and it was a small school too, so I knew, and I was, and he was telling his story of having been an alcoholic mm. and recovering, and I, of course, I had been away from Tulsa for, you know, 20 years, and I, and I was just flabbergasted because he was telling everything about mm-hmm. his life. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm like, you know, bro, hey, bro, you don't, have to, you don't have to put all that out there, mm-hmm. you know. But he did have to mm-hmm. because he had to be honest. And um, so it really blew away that concept I had that I had grown up with that I had to be perfect, you know, or I had to do whatever was perfect. And, and that meant dress right, act right, say the right things, live in the right house, have the right job, you know, all of it. And, and I would say that's the biggest one for me that made a big change. So when I was interested in going out with somebody, you know, in Tulsa, and, and, I, and I really was sort of like semi-interested at that point, you know, I had a lot on my plate, but I wasn't looking for somebody who was, who was perfect mm-hmm. or fit a bill. You know, who who had these? I didn't write down. Sit down and write down. Okay, here's my ten criteria for this person, and I'm going to find him. Huh? It was it was a far more natural process, and and I just began to feel the support and your your open heartedness that I don't think I would have felt before because I would have all my armor on. But that's one way that Al, that Al-Anon has really helped me. Julianne, if you don't mind, would you follow up with what we were talking about, some of the challenges that you've had mm-hmm. in the marriage, or that things that have come up that <clears throat> you might, anybody that's listening might know that married couples do have challenges. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I think uh, probably the, the biggest challenges that we've come across are um, learning to handle our financial money, you know, mm-hmm. together. And then the second one would be like, now I came into the marriage, I didn't have children, but you had four, four children, so those four stepchildren. Um, you know, children and finances, I think those are some of the biggest challenges people have. For us, we decided to get the one checking account. And so mm-hmm. we would sit down every so often and go over that and go over our bills together. And, you know, I had never done that before. I was pretty independent. And I didn't want, you know, somebody messing with my bank account. Mm-hmm. And so it was really a hard thing to get used to. But in retrospect, I'm so glad we did that because it just helped us in so many ways, helped us save more and, and, and know where we're at. So that, that would be a challenge. And then there were the, uh, the children. And 
you know, alcoholism and drug addiction is really a um, generational thing that gets passed down. And some of it got passed down into my stepchildren, mm-hmm. you know. And so having to, to understand that and work with somebody that's on drugs is, yeah. has been a hard thing to, to learn how to handle and, and still uh, keep my boundaries and to, and to hold our relationship with boundaries. So that's some of it. Thanks for that. I would say that for me, it has been the children and you know, it's been so long with uh, any finances. I'm like, I was like Julianne, I had always had the bank account and it was separate. Uh, So when we got married, we decided that we were gonna put that together because that way we, we were a team and we, were, we knew that there's things that we wanted to achieve for ourselves, you know, our home and that. And well, I, for us, it, that way, it may not work for others, but that's what worked for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we were both wanting, we had the same goals there. When it came to those four children of mine, every one of them have had alcohol and drug and problems and my grandchildren. The biggest problem that I've had with it is, and this is where my Al-Anon area, I don't, I'm still not where I want to be with it, is that I want Julianne, who is the love of my life, to understand that when you have these children, there, there is a connection there that I can't expect her to understand because it's not having children. And then having children it it's like uh, well there's just no explaining it for me but you have been really wonderful and gracious in all of it and and I know there was time that you had to be really frustrated with that because you're not only dealing with those four children you're dealing with a dad's guilt Mm -hmm. of not being there when the children are really being raised and so it's not just about the kids it's you've got five of us that you're dealing with not just four so I'm trying to make up for years and you can never make up those lost years but uh, I have tried to do that in the 40 years I've been sober and you've done a tremendous job thanks I think it really helps that we were able to communicate and in a positive way. Yes. And and to yes. just talk about situations that would come up. Like we had one of your daughters came and lived with us at one point with, with mm-hmm. her son, with my grand, our, our grandson. And, you know, for, I, I think it was like uh, half a year or several months. Well, it seemed like years. Yeah. And so we would spend, you know, all this time going over her, fi- yeah, her finances with her and, you yeah. know, setting her, you know, okay, now you can get this job. Now, I, now all the time that we were doing this, then, you know, in the evening, she, I mean, she was climbing out the window and going to see her old boyfriend doing mm-hmm. drugs. You know, she well, was never going to a meeting. And more, yeah, yeah. more importantly with that, she was supposed to be going, you know, her commitment to us was that she was going to go to meetings and get a spot, you know. Yeah, and, the whole thing. And uh, she didn't do any of that, uh, which is part of the disease. Right, Which is right. part of the, the addictions. Yeah, but what was great for me was that you and I could talk about that. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. and and figure out what our plan was right. and how we wanted to deal with that, and that kind of happened each time. So that's something that I got in in Al-Anon also, 
just to um, to accept the situation for what it is, reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just life, yeah. and and then look for the best solution possible at the time. I think what I hear you saying, you tell me, is that if you have the the twelve steps, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous or and Al-Anon, ACA, any of those, you can work through most anything. I I believe. Absolutely. I believe. Absolutely. So I'm wondering about, is there codependency in two people that are both in recovery in a marriage or in a committed relationship? Is there codependency and how, and if there is, could we hear somebody, could somebody tell us how you see that or how you feel about that? And anyone want to start that? Not so much in this relationship. Um, I think what surfaces for me is with children mm-hmm. and then that's what affects the relationship there, thank you yeah. I mean I think that's where that affects a healthy marriage mm-hmm. is the kids and we have so many kids yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of kids <laughs> and two of them at least are alcoholic acknowledged mm-hmm. alcoholics and it's been really interesting uh, over the years, dealing with those two individual kids that are grown family members mm-hmm. now, talking about how we're going to handle this, what's okay to do, what's not okay to do. Uh, so it's it's really been a journey. And I've had to have really firm boundaries with one of my family members. He has, and, and Merlin, to his credit, uh, has let me handle that to the best of my ability. And he has had a family member that he's had to have really strong boundaries with. Mm-hmm. And he's handled that really well. You know, it's been easy for me because he's got good boundaries. Yeah. I think that's where the problem comes in. If one parent doesn't have good boundaries, that's where the friction starts mm-hmm. uh, because it affects the other person. Yeah. Merlin? I agree. I think the two of us have to have a relationship that's based on Al-Anon and on the AA program and thus on boundaries, and we have to recognize that and stick with that in the rest of our lives. You don't have to do it just with each other, but you have to do it with the other parts of our family that call and need something and want something, and so we talk to each other about it to some extent. But also, you know, some of this is my stuff from my kids, and some of this is her stuff from her kids. And I, I don't always have to agree with how she does things. Mm. I have, What I have to do is give her room to do the things that she needs to do. I believe she's fully in recovery, and so uh, I don't have to attempt to steer her toward recovery. I can say what I think might apply at this point, and she cer- certainly can say what applies to me with uh, the people I have in my family that are somewhat in addiction. But then once we say that, it doesn't have to totally change the relationship. I've just heard her opinion, and now I do whatever you know is important for me, and she does the same. And we each do that with, with our kids, and that allows us to still have that relationship, 
uh, each one of us and yet not be so codependent that the two of us have to do the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. That doesn't make very good sense, but I think Corinne affects the relationships with her children, and I do my best to do the relationships with my children. And only if there's a big break with a big question of addiction occurring do the two of us get together and deal with that together. I think mm-hmm. probably that's a reasonable thing to say. What about the codependency, if there is, just between the two of you, where you might let something get by or not say anything, or you know, which sometimes builds a, a resentment? Do you have much of that? No, we really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're both very outspoken when it comes to things Mm -hmm. like that. We don't hold back. And we don't blast the other person either. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, we're we're both comfortable speaking. When I moved here, Maroni said to me, I would like to be able to hold, open a place for you to grow into. And I think that's what he's done. So he doesn't expect me to be perfect. It's just really interesting that I just don't think we have very much of that. I think we have genuine concern sometimes about the other person. But here's what I think is the difference, Rusty. It takes a while in recovery to get real recovery muscles. Mm -hmm. You You get stronger and stronger and stronger as time goes on. So if something happens that he's doing that I don't like or don't approve of or whatever, I can voice my opinion. I don't have to try and change his direction. Mm-hmm. But here's the difference for me. The difference for me is I know I'm going to be okay no matter what. If I'm not okay if something happens to him, that's when the codependency flares up. And I don't think we have that issue because he's going to be okay if something happens to me. Uh, and I mean, I think that's where the difference is. We're both strong enough that we know we're going to be all right. I think that's the difference. And there are times in my life when I've been fearful because I wasn't sure I was going to be all right. I was going to mm-hmm. lose a partner who mm-hmm. was the dad and have to do most of it on my own. So mm-hmm. I did have codependency issues in situations like that. I know that today. Julianne? Well, I like how you're asking me first, Rusty, instead of you stepping up and (laughs) I'm on to you. (laughs) Well, I I think uh, something that actually Corinne was saying uh, was about, I I got it that you guys, it's like you're two individuals, but that you come together. And that's how I feel with us. I still have my codependency issues. I can speak for myself, you know. I still want to be a people pleaser, you know. And I still want you to like what I do, and I want to make you happy. But part of it is I love you, and that's just the way I'm going to be. But I have to. I think. I think being able to just know myself better, which I I do get to know, you know, as I go through the Al-Anon program, helps me stand on my own two feet, so that when something comes up, you know, I can determine if it's important enough to really really talk about it and bring it up and you know there just haven't been that many things I mean I have gotten resentments of you and I have been pissed off at you but but it usually passes or we talk it out and that is a gift of the program Mm -hmm. I think that this maturity 
and also as we grow older, you know, as human beings, I think, you know, they say you do get wiser as you get older, and some of that is just experience. It's just life experience. Mm -hmm. If you've been through it before, you know what it looks like. So you don't have to do it again. And uh, so I apply that to our marriage, too. I think for me, there's still at times for me that lingering, uh, that fear that, that you may leave. And I know that because I've had that most of my life because of stuff that, that happened early on. And I've, I, I've addressed it, and it's nothing like it used to be. But it still lingers in there. And more so with you because this is it for me. This is what, if this relationship would not work for some reason, and I know that the only reason it wouldn't is that I would sabotage it through my own insanity. And so that, that would be what I would see as my codependency. Other than that, I think I, I learned early on in our marriage, I want you to be you because I love you. Uh, and I respect you, and I, I want you to be you. I don't want you to be what I want you to be because then it wouldn't be fun, really. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty boring, wouldn't be it? Poor, yeah. Pretty boring, yeah. Yeah. yeah? yeah. One last question, guys. How important is sexual intimacy in the relationship? Now, that's one that people might think that it's not that big a deal, but I can tell you from people that I've worked with, it is a big deal. I can start with this because the wonderful thing about it is I was very attracted to my to Julianne from the very beginning. And intimacy, we know, we, first of all, we know that there can be no intimacy in a relationship when one person is using. It, can't, it just doesn't happen. When you've got an alcoholic or an addict, and they're using, there can't be any intimacy. Now, you can have sex, but you cannot have real intimacy. You know, here's the funny thing for me. Until I experienced that intimacy, and I don't mean this in a joking way, I didn't know what I was missing until I experienced it. And as the years have went by, it has just gotten to be such a wonderful part of our marriage. It's not everything, of course, but it is a wonderful part of our marriage. So I'll go ahead and say this. In the work that I do when I, in my profession, I talk with people all the time that talk about they've been married eight and 10 years and they're not, uh, they're, they have no intimacy. And I just, it just, you can tell it. I mean, they're both miserable. And most of them will say, well, I'm staying because of the kids. Or, or if they're older, they'll say, you know, I don't feel like starting over again. No, I hear that. So I feel very fortunate that I have the relationship in my life with my wife that I do. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that. Thanks. Hey, Rusty, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think, I think sex is important. In a, you know, making love is important in a marriage. It's, uh, it's a creative endeavor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a joyful activity. Mm -hmm. And we need joy in our lives mm -hmm. uh, in many, many ways. And to be touched is so important. You know, just to be touched, our bodies to be touched. Right. It's reassuring and it's healing and it's loving. But I don't think you can have intimacy 
without trust in a relationship. Oh, no. That is the bottom thing. That's the first thing. And, uh, and that's something we kind of had to get straightened out at the beginning of our, mm-hmm. when we were first even dating. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I tell you, my Al-Anon sponsor really helped me with this at that time. I hadn't been in Al-Anon that long, maybe a year. And we started going out. We'd gone out about four, four or five times maybe. And, um, and she had a Christmas party. And so she said, you know, just for her Al-Anon people that she worked with, you know, most of they were all women, so we came with our little gifts, you know. And she said to me, at one, you know, like in the middle of the party, she pulled me aside and this other gal aside, and she said, you know, you two need to talk here. And she put us in this room in her, mm-hmm. you know, in the bedroom to sit down, and I'm like, hmm, why would I need to be talking to this woman, you know? Mm-hmm. And she knew, I knew, I had been talking to my sponsor a lot about whether I should be dating you, whether I wanted to, and things like that. Well, it turned out this gal had gone to the movies with you mm-hmm. on that weekend. And so, and but my sponsor couldn't uh, divulge it because, you know, of uh, mm-hmm. anonymity. And so we, so we talked it out, you know, and so of course she was telling me it was a date. She went on a date. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, so I had to sit with it and think about it. Did I want to go out with you anymore? Or what was happening? How could this happen? Mm-hmm. And so we talked about it. I talked mm-hmm. about it with the next time. We went out, and you know, I asked you about it. And the first thing you said was, "Oh, well, it wasn't a date. I've helped. I've been helping her son." <laughs> and so I said, mm-hmm. "No, that's not true. You paid for the movies. You mm-hmm. picked her up. It was a date." And so I just, uh, you know, I had thought it through, and I just said, "Look, we can be friends. You know, we can be mm-hmm. friends." And uh, I was doing a little bit of writing at that time, and you were what you know you like to read my writing, so I was like, yeah, you know, I'd still like you to read my writing and stuff, but we just won't have this other part to our life, mm-hmm. and we'll just uh, not pursue the romantic part. And um, so we had to get that really straight. And so at that point, you know, you made a decision yourself mm-hmm. uh, that I you remember that. yeah that you weren't going to go about out that with her. in years, but yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. So right from the beginning, we worked on building trust in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been invaluable. Well, and you calling me on that. Yeah. yeah. See, if you hadn't called me on that, right. that was an old behavior of mine. Mm-hmm. Right. It made me, it didn't make me, but it, I chose to look at that and go, okay, that's, that is the truth. And do I want to do something about that? And that was the, actually the beginning for me. Actually, it, no, it was. Mm-hmm. It was the beginning of, for me. I think it would be silly to have this talk and put something out that people in recovery were going to listen to and not talk about sexual intimacy. I think that's a huge part of a healthy relationship. And if we're talking about having healthy relationships in recovery, then I think we need to be able to talk about intimacy and about uh, sexual intimacy. And Corinne and I had intimacy when we were very young, and it carried over to having intimacy now when we're very old. And it couldn't be any better than it is for me, the intimacy that we have couldn't be any better than it is. We go to bed each night and sometimes uh, the hormones kick in and sometimes we then end up making love. Other nights we go to sleep and wake up the next morning. 
But to me, in our relationship, all of that is totally satisfactory. We have talked about it enough, and uh, we're open enough on terms of intimacy and doing things for each other, making coffee in the morning, and just different things that we do for each other, that we have intimacy, and thus the sex is okay however it comes out. And I think if you're going to be healthy in a relationship, in recovery, you want your you want to have that kind of intimacy. I guess at some point in time we may not have that intimacy. I don't know, mm-hmm. but there are other forms of intimacy that you can continue to have. And I think the fact that we're having the intimacy we have now leads toward those other things on down the line. Right. So, uh, and I think that's very important to realize that and to continue to do things that stimulate that part of you that says, you know, you are my love and I'm going to do this for you. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's important part of uh, this talk today is recognizing that you want to have sexual intimacy, that probably both people want to have that, and you need to be able to either talk with someone that's a therapist or discuss it in a small group of people like this and recognize what works and what doesn't work and and get the things out of the way that don't work. Thank you, Merlin. Mm-hmm. I don't have much to add to that. Yeah. I think Merlin really said pretty much everything that I would say. The only thing that I would add is that I think it's really important to recognize that you have two different people in a relationship. And everybody doesn't see things the same way. And if you can talk, then it's a non-issue. But if you can't talk, then I think it can be a really big issue. Uh, But I think that's what recovery has given us is the ability to talk. We already knew when we got back together that we had compatibility. We just, that was a non-issue for us. So, but it is not, it isn't a non-issue for everybody. And I think communication about it is a really big deal. Really big issue. And, mm-hmm. and learning to listen to what the other person is actually saying without right. judgment. One of the best things that I ever heard about communication in a meeting was um, my granny sponsor said, if you have something you really need to say to somebody and you don't want any back and forth, you don't want it to escalate into something, you can mm-hmm. say, I have something I need to share with you. It does not require a response but I would like for you to go and think about this and then we can get back together later and talk about it. And that, that diffuses things in a lovely way, I think, because I'm somebody that does need to think about things. And I think Merlin's the same way. I mean, you know, my first response may not be the best one. Mm-hmm. So I, that's really helped me to know that. I'm Tim, I'm an alcoholic. And along the line of a cheap promotional plug for another episode that we have our good friend Dorothy, who is about to turn 92 years old, sat down with Rusty and me and had a conversation about sex and intimacy and about the fact that, you know, when we're young or we're first a couple, that sex is a big thing and that eventually sex goes away. And then it boils down to the intimacy in the relationship. And that intimacy can actually grow and become bigger than life as we carry on if we work on it. And that's the main thing. So cheap promotional plug for 
our guest, Dorothy M., and I believe the episode is called From Sex and Intimacy to Al-Anon and Beyond. All right, Julianne, thank you very much. Um, I was just saying that I thought that um, learning to accept myself, you know, with my all my foibles and uh, imperfections and whatever life journey that I'm on has really helped me to be part of a couple. And it's made me less anxious and it's made me more confident, self-confident, to be able to speak up for my life and what's, what's best for, for me. And I think that's what both people have to do. Something I wanted to add. Thanks, Dusty. Thanks, Betty. Last thoughts? I think we come into these rooms trying to get more stable and, and have a more stable life. And the first thing we try to do is get the toxins out of the way, the poisons, uh, uh, drugs, and alcohol. And after we do that, we've become somewhat self-sufficient, and we've come become somewhat reliable where people, where people can trust us and can ask us to do things. I think if you stay around these rooms and continue to try to practice these principles in all your affairs, as the books tell us how to do, and as we learn in the meetings that we go to, you continue to get a deeper and deeper understanding of how to be a full human being and how to relate to the other people around you. And I feel like AA got me sober, but Al-Anon has, continues to be the way I learn to have a relationship with not only an intimate partner, but with other people around mm -hmm. so that we can have a meeting like this where we communicate and send something out for everybody that might be of benefit. If someone listens to this and hears this and gets something positive out of it, then, then we've done a good job in promoting it. Thank you, Marlon. Mm -hmm. uh, one last thing. This has been so enriching for me with you guys today. And my last thoughts on this is when... Julianne brought up the incident of uh, taking the gal to the movie. I probably was on a date, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, probably was. I knew what I was doing. That had been the story of my life. That tap dancer, Ernie Larson, talks about it. I would tap dance in and I would tap dance out. And when she called me on that, I remember I, I hadn't thought about this in years, honey. But when she called me on that, my thoughts of her changed. I knew that this was a woman that I was wanted to be with, and I felt like she was further down the path than I'd been. Even though I had been in recovery for 17 years, she had dealt with issues that I had dealt with, but not on the level that would set me on a, really a new path. So thank you for listening today. We've hoped that this has brought something that is worthwhile into your life today. This has been a production of childrenofchaos.net, and we invite you to share your thoughts with us via email to comments at childrenofchaos.net. Children of Chaos is a forum to discuss topics related to and in concert with addiction and recovery in America. 
is not affiliated with, endorsed, or financed by any recovery or treatment program, organization, or institution. Any views, thoughts, or opinions expressed by an individual in this venue are solely that of the individual and do not reflect the views, policies, or position of any specific recovery-based entity or organization.